Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. Thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us. Uh, my name is Jared. If I haven't gotten to meet you, I'm pastor of the campus here in Elkton. It's a pleasure to worship with you. I'm a guy that I don't interact with media a whole lot, social media, and that may come as a surprise to some of you. It shouldn't, uh, but uh, I do it very little. But I came across some images here the other week that are fascinating to me. Maybe you've seen them. There are these images where you can look at it for the first time, and then the next time you see it, it's something completely different. So I brought some examples because that's a vague description. So let's check this first one out. Is that a chalice or two faces? All right, who saw the chalice first? I see some hands. Who saw the two faces first? All right, let's check out another one. A rabbit or a duck? I hear lots of ducks. Any rabbits in the room, the first visual? I see a couple hands. We're looking at the exact same image, but yet we see different things. Let's check out one more. An older lady or a younger lady? So I hear young. Did anybody see an older lady? Like this, I find myself going cross-eyed at this one trying to see it, right? I'll give you a minute to think about that one because you'll scratch your head. If you Google this, you can find it. This one is actually pretty old from what I understand. And the rabbit and the duck was one of the first ones that I believe uh, was drawn to do this. And this last one, I must confess, makes my brain like tweak in funky directions, okay? Right? What is happening in this picture? Does this young lady have very skinny legs or is she holding a bag of popcorn? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what's up. We both see that. And Pastor John, photo credit to him, he sent that out a few weeks or months ago now to staff and just said, what do you see? And I went, oh, what is, what's going on there? We look at the exact same things, friends, and yet we see different things come out of those pictures, out of those scenarios. Do you ever wonder what areas of your life, what other areas of your life that happens in? Where we are looking at one thing, one agenda, one news story, one way of doing things, and we say, yeah, that's it. But yet, we've just proven that if we'll, Look from the other angle, there's a whole other way of seeing it, and both are seeing the same thing and perceiving it. You ever wonder if that happens in a church too? One camp or one theological group sees things one certain way, one portrait of the Gospels, and yet another group says, no, I, I see it this way, but yet we're all looking at one text. Have you ever wondered where in your life those things happen how maybe in our journey of faith that might happen as we encounter other believers. Friends, I welcome you back to our conclusion of burning questions. 
burning questions. We took a break last week in our series to hear from our friend and mentor, Pastor Kerry Willis, but we're returning today to conclude our series this summer where we have been taking a deep dive into some hard questions. And again, I encourage you, if you're visiting or you haven't been able to stay up with us, you can catch up with our messages here, the, the audio portion, on our website, cotnaz.org, and there's a tab in the top right where you can listen to the messages uh, from here on Sundays. But it's been my hope that throughout this series that we have not only learned that it's okay to ask these questions, but that it's also important that we navigate some of these hard questions because our lives are full of hard questions, things we wrestle with, grapple with, don't understand. And the world is full of those questions too. And so I hope that through our study that we have seen the need for grace in these conversations to see that we may be staring and looking at the exact same thing but seeing it in two different ways as our friends and neighbors. James tells us in his word, he says in chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. He gets me there, right? Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires just got warm in here, didn't it? (laughs) Like how often are we quick to speak and slow to listen, and yet we're looking at the same thing from just two different angles? Friends, our final question today will require every bit as much careful consideration and every bit as much charity to other opinions and other traditions as our previous questions. It's every bit as tricky and every bit as technical, maybe even slightly more so, as we evaluate the different positions we're going to discuss today. And so today's question is simply stated, what do you mean you don't believe in once saved, always saved? What do you mean? What do you mean you don't believe in once saved, always saved? For some of you, maybe your burning question today as you've been visiting the Church of the Nazarene is just more simply stated, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Has that question ever encountered you in your walk of faith or in your circle of influence? Some today, this, you may not be totally sure what's up with this question, and that's okay. We're going to journey through it together. However, I, I have a pretty good inkling is that a word, inkling? That's one of my terms. I have a pretty good inkling that some of you are wrestling with this question. And even in our short time together as a body of believers and studying God's word, we have encountered, I have encountered questions from you around this question. Do you believe in once saved, always saved? So I know that just within this short time together that is proven to be important to our church and to our community at large. Our goal today will be to take a brief look. I mean, we have to, in a half an hour, we have to make some broad brush statements and look at things from a removed perspective, but we, our goal is today that we will take a brief look at what's behind this question or what the different beliefs are, how we may be looking at one thing two different ways, and to examine why that may be important in our faith journey as a body of believers. And we will also look to the teachings of Jesus to see how he interprets and how he compels us forward. As we seek to unpack this text today and understand this question, we need to understand that we're talking about doctrinal distinctives, okay? Doctrinal distinctives. 
So there's a difference between different denominations. A lot of times we will come around the unity and the faith of the key important things, but today's question is one of the detail conversations. It can be an important detail, but we need to just understand that we're framing our conversation and our study today on a detail and not necessarily the grant, I believe in Jesus by grace through faith. And so as we understand that, we need to know that there has to be charity in our perspective, that we have to allow people to view things maybe a little bit differently than we do. But as we embark today, this is simply our best interpretation as a denomination regarding the concept of once saved, always saved, which again, we're addressing because I've heard it from you. I've heard this question. We as a body of believers within the church of the Nazarene stand in unity with all denominations that would affirm salvation through Jesus Christ by grace through faith and that would theologically align with the Apostles' Creed. We believe that we should come together as the body of Christ around these key doctrines, around these key beliefs and and leverage our lives, leverage our influence to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But within this unity, there is gracious room for distinctives to see things a little differently. So please don't go to the water cooler tomorrow or to McDonald's or to the cafeteria or whatever your context is and say, hey, my preacher said you're wrong. That's not what we're doing today. Please don't do that. That's not what this is about. So with what may serve as a preamble or a little bit of a disclaimer, let's jump into our question today, but let's begin in prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, we come before you, Lord, uh, grateful that we can call on your name. Lord, we want to be surrendered. We just sang, I surrender all. And so, Lord, we want to be surrendered to what your word says. So, Lord, will you open our hearts? May we surrender to your leading today. In your name we pray. Amen. So what's up with this question? What's the big deal? What's behind it? This is about a doctrine or an idea, a a key belief within the Reformed or Calvinist tradition. Now that's some church lingo. Reformed or Calvinist position, you generally will think of Baptists or Presbyterians or United Church of Christ, and there's many, many more that fall under that tradition. So this doctrine or belief basically states that once you have been saved, you can never, ever lose your salvation. The belief is that God's grace will always keep you, that you really cannot get out from under it, that no matter what you do, you will spend eternity with Christ Jesus. You may have heard of this doctrine called the perseverance of the saints or eternal security. And while these distinct terms have unique inflections and different meanings, they all kind of end up in the same idea that once you have been saved, you cannot lose your salvation. So then our salvation then kind of becomes like the sign in the store that makes us itchy when it says all sales final, absolutely no returns. Like makes you question what you're getting ready to buy, right? All sales final, absolutely no returns. And the camps and the groups of people that hold to this theology, it's a very biblically based uh, idea, a doctrine. We're going to look through just a few scriptures, and I have them in my notes, so please forgive me for not flipping through. Uh, But you can jot these down and and follow along with me. John chapter 10 is one of the most oft-quoted in support of the doctrine of once saved, always saved. John chapter 10, verse 28, it says this. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So he's setting up this idea that God's sovereignty and his supremacy will not allow anything to happen to those who are in Christ. 
We find another reading in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he says, Being confident of this, that he began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So in all these texts, you can hear this inflection that once you're saved, it's always, you're always good, you're always done. Once saved, always saved. And so we can see why some would say that this is the biblical position. And that those who would also affirm that generally say that the, the perseverance of a Christian, the perseverance is the evidence of their faith. So what's the big deal, right? I think, I think it's possible that we can encounter maybe a twofold problem here. First, if we're leaning into this idea that once we are saved, we are automatically saved forever, our human and corrupt nature will begin to kick in and cause us to put too much emphasis on that box we checked in the past. It's a lot like me in gardening, okay? In the springtime, I get real excited to eat out of the garden. Now, you heard what I said. I get excited to eat out of the garden. The whole process, I can do without. I want the end result. And so we start out, or we used to, and we lived in Singer's Glen, we would till the soil and fertilize and get it all the things ready, all the things that you gardening people love and know how to do that I feel miserably at. You do all those things, and we would plant the seeds with ever so much care. And even for like the first week, I would keep looking after it. You know, you shoo the rabbits away, you keep the weeds out, and you water it. By like week two, I'm out. Like it hasn't produced fruit. I got other things I'd rather do. The grass is growing. I'm out. And as time goes on, you, everyone knows that no garden that's tended to like that will ever bear the fruit that it is intended because we have not cared and nurtured that original seed that was planted in the ground. And friends, I'm afraid that when we lean heavily on this idea that I'm once saved at an altar at teen camp, that I am always saved when I'm 85 and cranky, I think we have that tendency to not tend our faith, to tend the relationship, to nurture that seed to where it'll bear fruits of righteousness in our life. If we're honest, it's human nature. I'm a box checker. Man, you give me something to do, it makes nothing happier in my soul to check a box that I'm done that can encroach on our spiritual life because things will come apart. Things come in our lives where we get busy and we've checked that box and i got busier things to do over here today. That box, I checked it, I'm good. I don't have to keep pulling the weeds and tending to it. Jesus told a parable pretty close to that, didn't he? About seeds cast on different soil. Over a lifetime, friends, it's even possible that our lives not only never produce the righteousness that they're called to, but that we will somewhat get a license to sin in our mind because, and I'm not saying this is the normal occurrence, but it's possible that we so put our faith in what we did at teen camp when we were 14 that it doesn't matter how I treat people or how I slander my neighbor to get ahead, no matter what I do, because, hey, I checked the box. Once saved, always saved. Let's get on with business. And I'm not putting forth to say that's what everybody does or that's a normal occurrence. But if we're honest with our nature, don't we see these things in other aspects of our lives? Once saved, always saved. Can even be twisted by the enemy. And when that happens, it can wreak havoc in the lives of others. 
Because then we're saying once saved, always saved. I'm a follower of Jesus, but when our lives represent hurt and pain to others, it's twisted and it's warped and it's painful and it's detrimental to the kingdom of God. Human nature is always bent towards self. You hear me talk about this all the time. Human nature, that carnality within our hearts, is always bent towards self and sin. And we need moment by moment by moment grace from God to continue in relationship with him. To continue nurturing that seed of faith that was planted. I think secondly, if we find ourselves reclining in this idea of checking a box and being done, once saved, always saved, I'm done. I think secondly, if we lean heavily on that, if we recline in that idea, we will ignore or at least minimize the many, many scripture references that point to the necessity of believers' growth, persistence, and continued response to the call of Jesus. Let's look at the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians 3. Beginning in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this. And we could stop there, really. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, single, solitary focus of my life, of my energy, of my all, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is no reckoning of what was once done and hoping that that will carry through. This is active pursuit of the person of Jesus. His metaphor here is that of a, of a runner in a race that sees the finish line and is straining and his body is screaming to stop, to quit. But Paul's saying, no, 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 I press in. I keep running harder towards that finish line. I'm straining. I'm giving my all to this relationship in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul likens the Christian again to running a race that must train hard, it must give it all they got to run the race that is laid out before them. The author of Hebrews in chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, says it this way. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful or unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That's a warning. Don't have a heart that turns away from God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. That's perseverance language. That's keeping on, keeping on language. That's a far cry from checking that box and reclining in that chair and just waiting for God to take me to glory. That's leaning in. That's continual obedience, moment by moment by moment, day by day by year by year. Jesus, uh, boy, he'll mess with you, won't he? His words in Matthew chapter 24 he gives a very clear warning. And just in my personal faith journey, this is one of two scriptures that really, really shakes me up. 
And we'll get into that here in just a second. A little context for Matthew 24, if you go to study this in your studies this week. The disciples had asked Jesus about the end times. And I know end times is everywhere right now. But just Jesus had, was answering some questions about the end times uh, with his disciples. And so it's a, a closed audience, if you will. And there was confusion just then as it is now about exactly the time frame and the chronological order of what would take place that Jesus was talking about. But in verses 12 and 13, we find a principle that today, friends, I believe is universal to all our experience as Christians. Let's pick up in verse 12 of chapter 24 of Matthew. Jesus speaking, he says, Because of the increase of wickedness, your translation might say lawlessness, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Did you catch that? The love of most. Some translators were saying, as I was looking into the original language this week, it can even be said the majority. And I don't know about you, but most and majority have different meanings to me. But read that. Let's read it again. Because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of the majority will grow cold. Oy. Now, we know that the love of God and love of neighbors is the sum total of the entire law. Jesus taught us that himself. Jesus even said that our love of our neighbor is the proof in the pudding, if you will, of that we belong to him. John chapter 13, verse 35, he says it this way. He says, by this, by this proof, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So within our text in Matthew today, we're faced with this reality. We're presented with a condition that's going to cause the majority of Jesus' believers, of his disciples, to grow cold, to fall away. And that's what he's saying here. We have to see intention that for our love to grow cold is the same for our faith to wane, for our love, our relationship with Jesus to fall away. Our loss of faith and falling away are one of the same, and we see that it's the increase of wickedness that's going to cause this. And we studied this just a couple weeks ago when we looked at that word lawlessness. And so he's telling us the condition that's going to cause the majority of believers to grow cold. One commentator writing of lawlessness says, Lawlessness is living as though your ideas are superior to God's. Done that before. Lawlessness says, God may promise it, but I don't want it. Yep, done that before too. Lawlessness replaces God's desires with my own contrary desires. I become a law unto myself. Strike three, I'm out. Lawlessness is within every one of us apart from Christ Jesus. Does this not sound like our world today? Does your news, I don't know if you're on social or whether you've watched the DNR or Fox News or whatever it is, does it not read like a script to this scripture? That the winds of lawlessness are just blowing and the effect is that our love of God and our love of our neighbor is just cooled. And that imagery there of cooled is like a candle wax or a sensi. When it gets cold, it hardens. That's what he's saying there. Is that because that lawlessness, the constant bombardment of negative and, and spurning of what's right and morality and ethics, it causes us to grow cold in our relationship with Jesus and our love for others, which he just said is the proof in the pudding that we belong to him. And it's the majority that that's going to happen to. We like to think of ourselves in the majority, don't we? 
And I don't think that Jesus is trying to warn us here that we're going to turn to dislike God and hate others. I think, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think the warning here is that the blowing winds of the world will cool not only our white-hot love for God and our neighbors into a cool indifference. I think that's what he's warning us against. Because we oftentimes will think that the opposite of love is hate. Well, I would, I'm not going to hate God and hate my neighbor. But how easy is it when that cool wind of lawlessness is blowing across us constantly that we become indifferent? That maybe we come apathetic to our faith. Maybe we feel hopeless like we see what's happening in the world and we start to grow cold thinking God's not really paying attention or God doesn't have it. Or we see our neighbors, our friends, our family, and we begin in in cool indifference to start just label them by their stance on an issue or on a policy or on a mask. It could go on. That's the coolness of indifference that I think Jesus is warning us about here. When Jesus is looking ahead, he sees this. He sees this coming. Thankfully, he doesn't stop there. Thankfully, he doesn't stop there. Let's pick up in verse 13. He says, but, that's two letters in the Greek. It's beautiful. It's a transition in idea. But, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. It's hard for me to read this passage, to read what Jesus sovereignly knows is coming ahead in our time and in the times yet to come, the times that my daughter will see. And he sees this coming. It's hard for me to look at that and strongly get along with the idea that I can check a box and know that I'm once saved, always saved. This idea of standing firm here, it's a compound word. It means to remain under the rule or the influence, but it also means to abide. So we remain under God's influence, under his sovereignty, under his will, and we abide in close proximity to him. That's who will be saved. Do you hear the difference in what Jesus is saying? Those who remain will persevere in their relentless pursuit of Jesus and their relentless love for their neighbor. Security is found then in the standing firm in our relationship with Jesus, not in what was done in the years past. So to return to our question today, do you believe once saved, always saved? I can't affirm that to you today. Within the church of the Nazarene, we don't believe that God ever makes you a robot, that he ever overthrows your will to where you cannot neglect your relationship with him. And friends, this this is part of my story, so I'm on a personal faith journey too, right? I'm a person. (laughs) I've got to study and be confronted by the scriptures just like you do. And in my journey and my wrestling with this idea over over years and over years, I just can't affirm this because I've lived it. Because I grew up around Spring Creek Church of the Nazarene. Shout out to a bunch of great folks in Spring Creek. 
I got saved there. I was repentant. I knew I needed Jesus. I went to the altar. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It was real. It changed my life in that season. But friends, the winds of lawlessness and the winds of wanting to be cool and fit in the in crowd kept blowing to where my love of God and my love of other people was cooled off. And it so went on that I outright rejected God. I wanted nothing to do with what he said or what he willed. God desired it. I didn't want it. I lived lawlessly. And you cannot convince me that in that moment, if I would have died, that I would have gone to heaven. Because I was living in outright rebellion of God, though I had once known him. I cannot affirm to you, once saved, always saved. Because I've lived it. I know what it is to turn away from the lover of your soul. And it's a dark place. But there's, if that's you today, friends, there is grace available. We should understand in this conversation that I'm not saying we need to be concerned about losing our salvation like I lose my car keys. That's not what this is. Okay? It's not like we're going to set it down and forget it and, oh, shoot, where's my shopping list? That's not this. I'm going to read a quote here, and I just try to lean in. So we're not talking about misplacing our keys. Our in-house author and friend, Brian Charette, wrote it this way. He said, we believe that those in Christ can rest assured that they are saved, that those who love him and desire to surrender to him don't have to worry that God will abandon them. Amen and amen. We believe that a person's relationship with God is just that, a relationship. And that person can sadly choose to abandon that relationship. We heartily affirm today, friends, that it's by God's grace. It's His grace alone that enables us every moment of every day, year after year, to choose Him. It's grace. It's His life in us. But grace never prevents us from betraying that relationship. As the band begins to come, we will find that as we have journeyed into this question, and, and please, if you want to continue this conversation, it's an open invite to call me, to email me. We'll go to coffee to continue this conversation if it's weighing heavy on your heart. I want to make myself available to you. But as we are confronted with this question, we find that we are not only asking a question of the question, the question is asking a question of us. The question is asking of us, how is your relationship with Jesus today? How's your relationship with Jesus in this moment, right now, August 15th, right now? How's your race of faith? How's my race of faith? Am I counting? As when, I, when I start to try to answer that question, does my accounting go to what I did yesterday or the day before or years before? Or can I point to that moment, those times when just this morning was in his presence, where we worship and surrender all to the king of kings? The beauty of all of this conversation is that right now, 
you can decide to renew that relationship with Jesus. There is grace available to you. You don't have to worry about accounting what you did when you were 14 at youth camp. I'm grateful that God moves in youth camp, amen? But we must continue to tend and nurture that seed that's within us. The scripture tells us that our life is to bear the fruits of righteousness. That's only going to happen if we're pursuing Jesus and allowing him to examine us moment by moment. Maybe if we were honest today, maybe in our reflections we would have to say that the cool wind of our Facebook feed or the cool wind of the DNR with the relentless bad news and scandal and just bleh has cooled our relationship with Jesus into a calm indifference for God and for our neighbor. Friends, our social media feeds are discipling us. Whether we know it or not, that bombardment is making a difference. It's a cool wind blowing over our white-hot love and devotion of Jesus and our commitment to love our neighbor. I remember when I was still in construction, I got a phone call. I'd been to a funeral. Uh, I was still in a suit, and it was late in the afternoon, and I got a phone call. Uh, A guy called me and said, hey, man, I'm in trouble. I got a big problem. Uh, Okay, sure, what is it? He said, I'm at Cisco, and and the coolers just went down. We shot the screws through the electrical pipes in the freezer. I went, oh, brother. So I changed out of a suit and got back into construction mode. And I went, and we had to go into the deep freezers. And if you've ever experienced this, you're just going, uh-huh. But those freezers are at zero, and the one ice cream section is at like negative 20 or 30 or something ridiculous. But you walk into that cold environment, and you know to put a coat on because it's going to be cold. So you walk in there, it's like, oh, this ain't so bad. But the longer you're in there, you start to feel your body get stiff. And then you go to pick up your battery drill that you took in there and you squeeze the trigger and it just barely turns around. That coolness of that environment cooled everything that worked perfectly into being useless. And it wasn't long in there until I was useless. Friends, we cannot allow that to happen to our love of Jesus and our love of our neighbors. Would you pray with me today? Father, we come before you and just, I want to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, for the places in my life that I have allowed to wax cold into cool indifference, apathy. Whether that be in my relationship with you, my study of the scriptures, or my relationship in my home, or in my job, or in anywhere that I interact with people, Lord. God, I want, by your grace, to rekindle that white hot in my life. I don't want to count on what I did yesterday or ten years ago, Lord. I want the warmth of your love right now. And friends, today, if you want that white-hot devotion for Jesus, will you ask Him to change your heart today? It's okay to say, I'm sorry, Lord. I need you to forgive me. I need you to set my heart straight again. He is faithful 
and welcomes you with open arms today. Lord, we love you, and we are desperate for you. It's in your name. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.